come to the fountain dip your heart in the stream of life let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy his deep cries out Welcome in, friends. This is the living room this morning. Um, we just want to sit and learn uh, to be in Jesus' presence together. That's what this morning is about. And uh, after a, a, a month full of kind of bigger services, it's a breath of fresh air to the worship team as well. Um, but we want to invite you into rest this morning. Um, this is a rhythm that we get to be a part of as, a, as the church to come together and be reminded of how to rest in Jesus. And so if you're new with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We are in an I Am series where we're looking at the statements of Jesus uh, when he says, I am. And this, this morning, Doug Rains, who brought you coffee this morning. <laughs> Way to go, Doug. Popular, popular teacher now. Um, Doug Rains is going to be going to be teaching uh, when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so, But this morning as we start, 
uh, in that spirit of rest and coming to Jesus and coming to rest, um, I remember the moment that I heard this quote um, probably a little over 10 years ago and uh, how it, I remember how it resonated in me. Philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard, he said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Of all the things that he could have said, the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Does it resonate? Does it ring true? And so when he's saying hurry, when he goes on to kind of explain, it's not, it's not just doing lots of things. It's an interstate of anxiousness that drives you. Maybe to be noticed or to be seen or acknowledged or to climb a ladder or uh, to have power or whatever it might be, not to be left behind something like this anxiousness in us that that presses us on and, and moves us forward in what we do if we're not careful that's not the way of Jesus he invites us into rest and to work from that rest and so this morning I, I want this is a beautiful thing we come together and we can practice these things so we're going to practice that this morning in our worship and so I love Jesus's invitation and I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message uh, out of Matthew 11. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Maybe burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced, not pushing, but being brought along. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound like good news? No, seriously, does that sound like good news? That is... That is gospel news right there. That's the kind of life I want to live. How about you? So let's, let's turn to Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on him. And uh, I was introduced to this song uh, uh, a couple months ago, and I was just, oh, my goodness. So i got to bring this. Um, one, because it's not a new song in the melody. So you'll know the melody, and you get to jump right in right, right away because uh, it's to the melody of Come Thou Found. Um, but it, it is this invitation to come away from rush and hurry. So let's sing it together. You already know the melody, so sing with me. And this is one of the joys. We don't have a big band, so we get to hear each other sing, okay? You gonna participate? All right, let's do it. Come away from rush and hurry To the stillness of God's peace from our vain ambitions worry come to Christ and find release come away from noise and clamor life's demands and frenzied pace come to join the people gathered here to seek and Find God's face. In the pastures of God's goodness, we lie down our from the waters of his mercy we drink deeply our name at the table 
Would you stand and sing this with me?
We adore you. We adore you, Jesus. Church, as we prepare to give our offerings, would you pray this prayer with me? Father, you are worthy of all our praise and adoration. You are endlessly patient, full of mercy and grace, and abounding in steadfast love. Father, as we give today, remind us anew that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the giver of life itself, and faithful to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We entrust these gifts to you, Father. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness.
good to gather and it's good to hear the testimony across this room we praise you for your goodness and your constancy even when we haven't been able to witness it Lord we declare your faithfulness would you open our eyes now to see who you are with more accuracy than we have yet to see you. Bring yourself into clarity this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Amen and good morning. As Seth mentioned, my name is Doug. And I would love to take credit for the coffee, but Sarah Jensen's actually the one that made that happen. So thank you, Sarah, for that. Uh, Hey, be finding uh, John chapter 14 in your scriptures with me, if you would, please. We are, as, as Seth said, we're continuing in our study for, of the I Am statements as we kind of walk through the book of John, uh, kind of taking a different approach, the seven I Am statements together, just kind of walking along and seeing what, God, what Jesus has said about himself. And you can kind of see from the, from the illustration the things that we've talked about. We're in week six where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to kind of dig into that today and see what that means. So, John chapter 14, if you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Hear the word of the Lord, John chapter 14 and verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're uh, sitting around the, the, the dinner table. Maybe you've had an experience like this recently where you had a handful of folks, friends, family, and you sat around the dinner table, and, and after dinner, you just sat around and had a conversation. And think about how that conversation kind of flowed, and maybe somebody would bring up a topic or, or make a statement, and, and you would interact about it, and somebody else would kind of take you down a little different road, and you just kind of go back and forth. That's the context of this passage of Scripture that we just read. Jesus is sitting at the dinner table with his disciples. He's just finished the, the Passover meal in the upper room, and they're still sitting around the table, and they're talking. And Jesus says to, has said to them, I'm going away, and you can't follow me. It's not the first time he has said this, by the way. He said this uh, to the Jews once, to the Jewish leaders, and they were going, well, where in the world is he talking about going? Is he going to go kill himself? So they, they understood the weight of what he was saying. And so Jesus says that again to his disciples in, the, in this upper room, uh, sitting around the table. And he said, I'm going away, and you can't come with me. 
And the first one to speak up is Peter. Good old passionate Peter. I love him. And he says, wait a minute. Why can't I come with you? Lord, I love you. I would die for you. Why are you telling me that I can't come with you? What is this going on, Jesus, that that is so important and so big that I can't join you? And Jesus looks to Peter and says, you will indeed follow me. The path that I'm about to walk, yes, you will walk it yourself one day. Just not now. And then from, that was in chapter 13. And then in verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus turns and looks at all of his disciples. And it's obvious from what he's saying that the response to what he said in this conversation with Peter has has really disturbed them. Because he, he looks at them and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, if if Jesus had grown up in some of the uh, towns that I grew up in, South Arkansas, he might have said it something like this, or if he was from South Galilee, he might have said, don't get wrapped around the axle here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. Now, sometimes... uh, I get to study in God's Word, and, and I dig into things that, that probably are just a little too nerdy uh, to, to really be relevant. But this time, this is really important. The verb that he uses when he tells the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, is pretty important. Because the nature of that verb is he's putting the responsibility of the action on them. Don't let your hearts get troubled. We live in a time frame that that is unlike anything that America has ever experienced. The level of anxiety over the last few years has just gone through the roof. And anxiety and fear and angst and just being uh, troubled. The word he uses for troubled is that idea of of water that's boiling up and and just stirring up. And, And I can't think of a better way to describe kind of the the emotional state that we bump into all the time in our culture today. And so just as kind of an aside, before we move any further, I just want you to hear the word of the Lord to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now listen, he didn't say, listen, there's nothing to be anxious about. There is plenty to be anxious about. If you don't think there's anything to be anxious about, you're not paying attention. This world is a mess. There are things going on, and, and, you know, there are things just trying to eat us all the time. There's a lot of reason to be anxious and afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. What Jesus is saying to us today is you have a choice. What are you going to do with the things that make you anxious and afraid? How are you going to respond to those things? And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I do want to empower you and say, with Jesus, you have a choice. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And some of you are going, well, how in the world do I do that? And that's what he says next. Two things. Believe in God. Believe in me. Anytime you see that word believe in the New Testament, you can just put the word trust in there because it's more than just intellectual agreement. It's more than just saying, okay, I know there is a God and I know that he's all powerful. It is trust. It is taking that truth that we know and then anchoring our lives on it. So when everything is going on around me that could make me anxious and afraid, I choose to trust in God. That's what he's saying. Trust in God. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then at the end of that, of, of that piece, he says, he said, hey, I'm going away, but you know where I'm going. You know how to get where I'm going. And then Thomas speaks up. If, G, if Peter's the passionate one, Thomas is the practical one. And Thomas goes, um, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how in the world could we know the way? If we don't know where you're going, what do you mean you know the way? And part of me, I just think uh, that Jesus probably rolled his eyes just a little 
Do you ever think he rolled his eyes a little bit as it sucked? Uh, Thomas, were you not listening? I think I told you I'm going to prepare. I'm going to my father's house. You know where I'm going. But anyway, he didn't, didn't get on to him. He just said, I am the way. Now, here's what's really interesting to me. Uh, he answers Thomas's question with an answer that was far more than what Thomas was asking. Have you ever had anybody do that? You ask a question and then you get an answer that's this big. The weight of what Jesus says in answer to Thomas's question, it's like he dropped a truth bomb in the room. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And he goes, I am. That's the first thing he does. I am. And that's why we're studying these statements. Remember, the I am is the name of God that reaches all the way back to the covenant that God made with Israel. And he says to them, I am Yahweh. I am your God. And I'm making the covenant with you. And so when Jesus pauses, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then at the end of that statement, Jesus says, well, and when you know me, you also know the Father. And then Philip speaks up and he says, Lord, if you just show us the Father, that would be enough. That's an understatement, isn't it? You know, if I could just see the face of God, that would take care of all my anxiety. It would take care of all my fear. You remember another story, maybe? Uh, where somebody asked if they could see God. Back in Exodus, where we get the I am name in the book of Exodus, Moses is on the mountain with God and he just says, God, could you just let me catch a glimpse of your glory? And God says, no, it would consume you. But here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in a, in a crack in the rock. I'll put my hand over it. I'll walk by. I'll declare my name, Yahweh, um, I am, the Lord, the Lord your God, and uh, my glory will pass by. And then as my glory goes by, when it's passed, I'll pull my hand back. I'll let you see the trail that I left behind. Just seeing the footprints, if you want to call them that, the trail of God that he left behind. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face glowed. So Philip's not wrong. Show us the Father. That would be enough. But look at what, what Jesus says. Philip, I've been with you this long and you don't understand. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. conversation around a dinner table. You guys ever have a conversation like that one? That, that's a pretty big one. I don't know that we've had one quite like that. But that's the context of this I am statement. As we understand Jesus speaking to his disciples and wanting them to understand something incredibly significant. And so let's dig in a little deeper. You know, the idea of being inclusive has become a pretty important value in our culture. Uh, Kathy and I, my wife Kathy and I, have the privilege of being part of a community group where everyone in the group except us is in their early 30s or younger. It's a lot of fun. Um, we usually end up leaving to go home and go to bed before they get done. Um, but with this group, one of the things I love about this group, inclusion is a high priority to them. They want everybody to be welcome in that living room, which is good because Kathy and I actually represent the diversity in the group. I never thought I would be diversity. I am. It's kind of neat. Anyway, as we prayed and planned for the launch of this congregation, one of the things we asked God for was a spirit of radical hospitality where everyone felt welcome in the room. When they came onto our campus, when they come into our buildings, when they interact with us, we want every single person to feel like they have a place and they are welcome here. So that, that value and that priority is really important to us, which might then be a bit of a shock when you kind of look back at our text where Jesus says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes except through me. That sounds like a pretty exclusive statement, doesn't it? doesn't sound terribly inclusive. But what if I told you that this incredibly exclusive statement was actually the most inclusive thing Jesus could have possibly said? How can such an exclusive statement be incredibly inclusive? I want you to imagine again with me. Imagine that there is a life-threatening storm coming. Not today. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's okay. We're imagining. There's a life-threatening storm coming, and there is a storm shelter capable of keeping everyone safe. But that shelter only has one entrance. How could you include as many people as possible in the shelter and safety of that shelter? Would it be by letting them think they could just get in however they wanted to? Or would it be by going, I don't really want to tell them there's only one entrance because they might think it's something else and I don't want them to feel bad about being wrong. No, the way you could include the most people possible is you point them to the door. You say, here's the entrance. This is how you get in. And you tell everybody and anybody you can think of, this is the way to safety and shelter. The way you include more people is by telling them the truth. And that's how this statement is so incredibly inclusive. The reason that Jesus' statement is not arrogant or narrow-minded or elitist is because it is true. And since it is true, for Jesus to declare it, to put it in his word, and to, and to preserve it for thousands of years for all the world to hear is the most inclusive thing he could have done. What sounds like a statement of exclusion, I'm the only way in, is an invitation to inclusion. So come in. Come on in. So now I want to take this statement of, of I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I want us to unpack it in light of what are the meaning and the implications for us of what this means. So the first thing he says is, Jesus says, I am the way. He's been talking about going away, and so immediately when they heard the word, I am the way, they would have assumed the path or the, or, or the road that you take. I am the way. That's what this word means. It means a path, a road, or even a river, but it just means how you get to, to somewhere. And with the idea of a, of a way, of a path, there's first of all the idea of a, of a destination. I am the way to somewhere. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he's implying that he's a way to get somewhere. And where is that somewhere? Well, he says he's, got the, he's going to the Father's house, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So he's talking about he is the way to the Father. For all the history of mankind, in all cultures, for as long as we can go back and study and know anything about the cultures of humanity, we've noticed that there's one common thing, there's a lot of common things, but one common thing that stands out is all of humanity has always been trying to get to God. You find some form of religion in every culture that we can find anything about. Trying to get to God. Where does this come from? It is rooted in our design. We were made to be connected to, to have relationship with God. And sin broke that connection and it it separated us from Him. But that design still drives us. We're still longing to get to God. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, no one comes to the Father. That's what He's saying. If you want to, to, to experience the satisfaction of that deep longing that God God has built into you, you do it through me. I'm the way to the Father. 
I'm the way to connect to God. So as a result of this, uh, this longing, this desire, this, this universal human need to be connected to God, people have been trying to find or, and create different ways to get to God. And so the second thing that is implied in this I am the way is not only a destination, but a direction. There are a myriad of ideas that mankind has had about how we can connect with God, how we can get to God. But when you boil them all down to their essence, you find out there's only two. We can connect to God, we think, through our own efforts. We can do the right things. We can uh, not do the wrong things. We can stack up the, the, the stack of good deeds high enough. We can build a tower to, to the heavens. We can do something that will somehow help us Get to God. And I would call that the religion of works. It is mankind's desire and effort and attempts to make himself good enough somehow to present himself to God and God then would have to accept it. And then there's the other one. And this is the, the way to God is not based on our efforts the way we get to God is through God's effort. And so instead of us having to do enough, God has done enough. Instead of us having to be good enough, God is good enough. Instead of us having to go up to God, God comes down to us. That's the religion of grace. And that's the message that Jesus is declaring when he says, I am the way, no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm what gets you to the Father. I'm how you get there. I am the direction. I'm what carries you there. How can Jesus be the way to the Father in that sense? Let me illustrate this uh, from history. They called her Moses because the... Uh, she led so many people to freedom from slavery. Her name was Harriet Tubman. And she was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad was a network of people who worked to help, sleeve, uh, worked to help slaves in the southern United States get to freedom. Her own testimony was that she had uh, brought about 70 people to freedom, but most historians that know anything about her said she way underestimated. It was closer to 300 that she was able to lead uh, out of slavery and into freedom. Now, in order to protect the Underground Railroad network, they, don't, they didn't have printed maps that they distributed with directions and names. So the only way you could get onto the Underground Railroad and find your way to freedom was to be connected to a conductor. You didn't need a map because there wasn't one. But if you would connect, connect yourself to a conductor, that conductor would take you from slavery to freedom. Interesting thing about Harriet Tubman was she was, had a deep, deep faith in God and she talked to Jesus all the time out loud. And some people were a little disturbed by that. But she would, she would be leading a family or a group. And they always would travel at night, so it would be pitch black, and they'd be going through the woods, and, and she would just come to a, a crossroads, and she would know there's a station here, there's a station here. And she would say, Jesus, which one do I go to? And that's how she led people to freedom. And, and look at what her statement was. I love this. Because of her dependence on Jesus, my train never came off the tracks, and I never lost a passenger. How did they get there? They, they trusted in the conductor. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the way to the Father. What he's saying is, you attach yourself to me, I'll get you there. I'll be the one that will make sure your train won't come off the track, and I won't lose you. I will get you there. I am the way to the Father. The second thing Jesus says then, he says, I am 
the truth. And by the way, each one of these, he, he gives the same level of, of weight. I am the way and I am the truth. We live in a day where truth is an elusive, slippery, and nebulous thing. Uh, on the one hand, we want to believe that truth is something that I can own and create for myself and my truth and your truth. It doesn't have to be the same. But then on the other hand, we'll go get into situations where we want to appeal to a universal truth that is outside of ourselves that everybody has to ascribe to. And so it's really hard to know what is truth. In fact, just before he was crucified, Jesus was asked that question by Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. What is he saying? I want to walk you through some scripture that will help you understand uh, a little better what Jesus means. In Jesus' prayer in John 17, he prays and he asks the Father to sanctify his disciples in the truth. And then he closes by saying, your word is truth. Your word is truth. In John chapter 1, we read, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then a few verses later, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And that's Jesus, the incarnation. So when he says, I am the truth, he's pulling those ideas together that, that whatever God says is true, and I am the expression of God himself. I'm the living expression of God's word. And as God's word is true, Jesus is truth itself. That means that Jesus is the expression of truth. He is the source of truth. And he is the measure of truth specifically as it relates to the truth about God. We long to get to God. We long to, to be connected to God. How can we be connected to God? Not only because he's the way, because he's the truth. When we ask the questions, what does God want us to know? How can we find the truth about God? What should we believe about God? Jesus is the answer. Those things that we long to know, he says, I came to reveal. In John 1, it goes on to say that Jesus has revealed to us what the Father is like. And that's how Jesus can say in those verses that by seeing Jesus, the disciples had seen the Father. He's saying something I want you to take note of. There is no God in heaven that is not like Jesus. There's not a God in heaven that's not like Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, he says, you've seen the Father. In my work with Global Outreach, I've heard people ask, aren't we worshiping the same God? And isn't, isn't this a form of Christian colonialism to tell people they have to believe in Jesus to be saved? And Jesus gives us the answer to those questions. First, if the God they're worshiping isn't like Jesus, then no, we're not worshiping the same God. Let's make that clear. There is no God in heaven that's not like Jesus. And then the second, if Jesus is the only way to the Father, then this is not colonialism. This is love. This is telling people how to get out of the life-threatening storm and into the safety and shelter. And finally, Jesus says, I am the life. This goes back to the whole idea of the use of the, of the name I am. The Hebrew name Yahweh that's translated I am has as its root the idea of being or existence. Not something that has come to life, but something that is life itself. And that's what Jesus is saying. You long to be connected to the Father. I'm the way to get you to the Father. I'm the one who can tell you what the Father is like. And I am life itself in the Father. John, tells, John 1 tells us that in him was life. And John 17 says that life is knowing God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in John's first epistle, his letter of 1 John, he says, God gave us eternal life through his Son. The one who has the Son of God has life. 
This brings us to the crossroads of consideration for us. I can't express it any better than C.S. Lewis did in Mere Christianity, so I want to read you this quote. This is what he said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and if there's no way to the Father except through him, then what what does that mean for us? And I've got three questions I want you just to ponder as we wrap this up. Number one, what way are you on to get to the Father? What way are you on to get to the Father? How are you seeking to satisfy that deep longing and desire that was built into you to be connected to God? And it may very well be that God is showing you, maybe for the first time, that you've tried to bypass the connection to Jesus. And you're not going to get to the Father except through Him. Or it may be that you've trusted in Jesus and you've embraced that truth of the gospel that He is the only way. But then along the path, somewhere along the way, you got into that religion of works. And like Matthew 11, as Seth was pointing out, you're just worn out, tired, beat down from trying and trying and trying. And I want to remind you, the one who says come is the one who's going to get you there. It's only through that walking with Jesus, that relationship with Jesus, that you will find the satisfaction of knowing the Father. Second question, where are you looking for truth? When you're looking for those deep, rock-solid truths that you can anchor your life to, that you can build your life on, that will hold you fast in a world that is going crazy around you, where are you looking for truth? And then third question, what gives you life? Where are you searching for life to come in? If your answer to any of those is something besides Jesus, then I want you to take a moment to reconsider what he has said. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Can we pray together? And as we pray, would you continue just to think on those questions and ask the Lord to just speak to your heart about where you are in this connection with him. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for not only speaking the truth, but thank you, Lord, for being the truth. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way And that when we connect ourselves to you by faith, you will get us to the Father. That place that you have prepared, you'll make sure we get there. Thank you, Lord, that you are the truth. That everything we need to know and believe about God, we find in you. Lord, thank you that we find in you life.
Seth opened the service this morning really with two invitations. The first is foremost, it comes from Jesus where he says, come to me, right? Matthew 11. I don't know what's worn you out, burned you out, or worked you up, but Jesus says, come to me because I'm life. Then I noticed as he led us through that song, set to the melody of Come Thou Fount, the last line we sang together I wrote down. Come to join God's people gathered here to seek and find God's face. You know, Jesus, we often experience him among his people in community, which means the church is not a place we go. It's a, well, it's a people we belong to. And so if you are new here, or maybe you're not new here, maybe you've been here for an awful long time, but church is still that place you've gone rather than the people that you've belonged to. Jesus says to you, trade up to life indeed, to a gathered people who are on a journey together to seek his face. And there are some practical ways we can do that, real specific, that are coming up in front of us. The first one, actually, for those here who are newcomers, is next week we have a newcomers gathering. We're going to start doing this every month, where we'll meet in the student ministry building, the smaller building just to the next, to the, uh, towards the freeway, and once a month, For a very short gathering, you'll just get a chance to take a step forward to being connected to the church of Jesus. Uh, The second way is Discover Fellowship. That actually launches on May the 15th, only a couple of weeks from now. But if you need childcare for that, uh, we need to know about it now. And so Discover is our best first step towards entry into a small group ministry. Discover is a large group experience, but also a small group component where you get to not only know a little more about uh, uh, who fellowship is, but more importantly, the story of God and how it impacts your story. So jump in with us and discover. And then the third way for men specifically is our men's retreat, which is next weekend. 
particularly some of us who are brand new might be saying, there is no way I'm going to go spend the night with a bunch of guys that I don't know. And I totally get that. Because four years ago, I was the new guy at the Fellowship Bentonville Retreat. Uh, you could fake it and put a smile on yourself, but inside I was feeling like the junior high kid walking into a lunchroom. By the way, we never outgrow that, do we? And there was something about being there that weekend with those guys that caused me to move from feeling like I was a stranger to feeling connected to this body. So our guys that are part of the men's team are at the John booth. It's immediately out in the foyer to the left and would love to sign you up for the Fellowship Men's Retreat next week. Regardless, take the next step to being involved with the gathered group of, of the body of Christ. Fellowship Benville, we love you. It's been good this morning and a breath of fresh air, huh? What do you say we do it again next week? See you next Sunday.